Welcome back to He Leadeth Me, a spiritual formation podcast for focused staff, students, and friends. I'm Jessica, Focus's Manager of Spiritual Formation, and today I'm joined by Father Pier Giorgio Pacelli. Father Pier Giorgio is a Discalced Carmelite priest, and he is the managing editor for ICS Publications, which is the publishing house of the Discalced Carmelite Order. Father, thank you so much for talking with me this morning. Thank you, Jessica, for having me. It's always wonderful to be here and to be with focus and, and, and oriented towards the mission that you have and that you're providing for the church. Now, Father, this is not your first focus experience. You have helped us with summer projects and another a number of other projects. But uh, just for our listeners' sake, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you're a Carmelite priest. How long have you been ordained? So I entered the Discalced Carmelite Order in 2014, shortly after I had left diocesan formation for the priesthood for a diocese that no one's ever heard of in upstate New York. I was just recently ordained, actually, uh, a little over a year ago. So I am a puppy priest, uh, <laughs> but I've been working in, in our publishing ministry for about four years now. Excellent. And why did you want to join the Carmelites specifically? So I was very much drawn to community life. That was something that I, I felt that God was particularly calling me to in terms of the best expression of how he wanted to use, you know, give me gifts in that vein of using them within the context of community life. And my mom was a member of the third order of the Discalced Carmelites, they call it the secular order. And so I had already had a familiarity with the Carmelite saints, uh, a desire to to go deeper in prayer, to sort of, to go all in in that. Uh, I was looking for something extreme, I think, in terms of uh, wanting to give myself more seriously as a result of a grace that I, I had in, in my sort of initial conversion. And I found just a, a home in the Carmelites, accountability with respect to making sure that I'm actually praying <laughs> and, and, uh, and living up to, to that desire that God put in my heart. And uh, it really was just sort of a discovery of a, a place where God was calling me to be generous uh, with what he has given uh, in my life. I think that a lot of our missionaries and students are attracted to the Carmelite saints' writings because they want to go deeper in prayer. So I would love to talk to you today about St. Teresa's writing on prayer, particularly the four waters of prayer. Can you explain to us what Teresa is talking about when she says that there are four waters of prayer? So throughout St. Teresa's life, she's frequently asked to give an explanation either for herself because she's being interviewed by the Inquisition, <laughs> uh, who are rather suspicious at the time that she lived of, of women authors, unfortunately, um, or from her own daughters, uh, her sisters in Carmel, the nuns who have followed her into the reform that she endeavors to, to initiate. And they basically ask some form of the question, what do you mean when you say that prayer becomes more supernatural? Or, or what, do you, what do you mean by this sort of development in the spiritual life? Uh, can, you, can you elaborate? Can you explain yourself a little bit more? On behalf of the Inquisition, maybe they want to get an idea of whether this woman is, 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 needs to be uh, silenced <laughs> because she's, she doesn't understand and she's spreading error. Of course, uh, she's the doctor of prayer, doctor of the church, so we know that that's not true or because uh, her, her own daughters just want to have the spirit of their foundress 
uh, sort of formed within them in terms of their, their desire to, to grow closer to God. And she delivers on it in, in three main works of her writing. Teresa, by the way, really didn't like writing. She found it very laborious, but, and she, but she also saw it as an act of love and, and something that, that she begrudgingly did. But then when she got started, she, she started to get the hang of it. And you know, by the end of it, she's, she always says, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. She's constantly uh, elaborating on things that she's previously said. So this comes in the, in the form of three main works. We have the book of her life, which is sort of a, a testimony, testimonial writing of, of how God first began to, to work in her soul, both as a child and then you know, as a mediocre nun, and then, and then as, a, as a nun who was desiring to do more for God and, and, and to reform the Carmelite order. And then she writes a book a few years later called The Way of Perfection, which she's writing for her sisters as sort of a, a manual of prayer. And then all of this culminates in what's probably her most well-known work, The Interior Castle, which is a further elaboration of, of this sort of spiritual development in the soul, helping her sisters to understand better what she means by when she says that prayer prayers becomes more supernatural, prayer develops throughout the course of our relationship with God as it, as it goes deeper. In the book of her life, one way that she answers this question is through an analogy that we call the four waters. And it's, the analogy is, is using an image of four ways that you can water your garden. Very simple, very practical. So the first, let's just go through the ways, just to kind of get them off, off and we'll, we'll kind of dive in deeper. The first way that we, we can water a garden is we can have a well. And when I water my garden this way, I have to lower the bucket down in the well, and then I have to kind of trudge it back up, very laborious, bring the, the bucket over to my garden and then water my garden thus. So a very laborious way to water my garden. Next, we, we kind of get into the second, the second sort of area of the gradient, which is watering my garden by means of turning a crank, uh, which then turns a water wheel that has sort of like buckets in with it. And, and so using like these simple machines, you turn the crank, the, the water wheel turns, brings the water up with these buckets and then, and then distributes it into an aqueduct. And then this aqueduct brings the water to my garden. In this way of watering my garden, I'm still doing some work. I have to turn this crank, uh, but it's not as laborious as having to trudge this, this bucket <laughs> across the field, right? And then we can uh, water our garden in, in sort of the third area of this gradient by means of, of irrigation coming from a river, something like building, digging trenches, irrigation to, to deliver the water to my garden. And this, this also sort of, it, it wets the ground. It makes it, it makes it more moist. And so it, it actually has to be watered less often because, the, because it's near a river. Uh, the, the, the work involved is, is infrequent, less frequent than it was before. Maybe I have to do this initial work of digging these trenches. Once the trenches are, are dug, maybe I, maybe I just have to maintain this, keep it, keep it going, make sure that it's working properly. And finally, the fourth way to, to water the garden is, is simply by rain pouring down upon us and, and watering the garden just, just without us having to do anything. And so these four ways, they represent this gradient of speaking of prayer as more active, having to do something very laborious, like carry a bucket, to becoming less active, more passive, all the way towards um, just, just the, the rain coming down and watering the garden itself. 
And, and when I say gradient from active to passive, it's, I think it's important for us to say what, this, what these two words mean, right? So active are, in terms of what, how Teresa understands it, is the things that we do in prayer that originate in us and then terminate in God. And then when we're talk, speaking about things that are passive, these graces originate in God and then they're, they're terminating in God. So it's coming, it's coming and going from the same place. It's, it's, it's a pure gift. It's grace. It's happening there. And so in these four ways, it's helpful, I think, not to think of these in terms of stages, which is why I speak of it as, as sort of a gradient, because it's an analogy and all analogies tend to break down at some point. And we can't sort of think that once I've, I've gotten to one stage, I don't have to return to the other stage. Teresa says that spiritual development is not like bodily development. And because sometimes God delights in returning us to a stage of spiritual childhood. And it's good for us, too, to do good things for God. Uh, she speaks, one analogy she uses within this discussion is speaking of weeding. You know, we have to weed our garden, too. You know, that's, that's sort of a, a never-ending a never thing. And sometimes there's seasons where the weeds are more uh, prevalent than others. And so doing this work, this labor, this spiritual labor in prayer, sometimes that gives God a lot of delight. And, and so this is something that he desires for us. And so we shouldn't see it as, once I've built the aqueduct, I can throw the bucket away, right? I think it's helpful not to think so much in, in stages. Another thing to, to keep in mind is when we speak about the, the most passive end of this gradient, with respect to, to rain falling on the garden, sometimes when it rains, it, it, it's like sprinkling for like a hot minute, and that's, that's it. And other times it's raining much, much more. And so even in this, it's purely passive, right? I'm doing nothing, but, but the, the extent to which it, it's, it's falling on me is, is less than it may be at other times. And so I think this is, is important to sort of keep in mind. And I think the, the other thing to keep in mind with respect to not thinking it as, as like upgrading, right? Okay, so I've been trudging up this bucket for years. I've had enough of this stupid bucket and the stupid well, and, you know, it's time. I'm going to build the water wheel. This isn't, we shouldn't look at it this way because obviously this is a gift. This is a grace. We can't uh, force the initiative with respect to, to moving towards, towards more passive forms of prayer. Uh, and sometimes the water wheel breaks too, and then we have to go back. So it's good to have the bucket. Don't throw the bucket away. That's the main idea. <laughs> <laughs> Don't throw the bucket away. Yeah, I like that. So that concept of being active and moving to more passive prayer, I think that that's really attractive to a lot of our missionaries, and especially towards those who they're not at the very beginning of the journey. Maybe they're not that far from the beginning, but they're still not at the beginning and they want to go deeper in prayer. But then the first thing that they think is, so how can I do that? But immediately that's being active again and not being passive in prayer. So are there ways that Teresa talks about to where you can receive this gift of more passive prayer? So St. Teresa begins her discussion of the four waters with this sense of, okay, how do we begin? She's not just speaking of, of purely beginners, like, okay, yeah, this prayer thing sounds great, let's give it a shot. Like you say, sometimes the best way to, to go deeper is to start from the beginning, make sure that, that, that everything's working properly in, in, with respect to, to your time that you're spending with God uh, and, and making sure that our appetites are not all over the place. There, there are certain things that we constantly have to be doing discernment through the process of all this. And I listened to the, the episode you did on the examined prayer, which is an important part of this, right? 
doing something like that, that that kind of keeps us on the ground with respect to what's going on in us, in our corporeal, spiritual, composite mess of us, right? She speaks to God. She, she says to God in, in the book of her life, when a soul is determined to love you by doing what it can to leave all and occupy itself better in this divine love, why don't you desire that it enjoy soon the ascent to the possession of perfect love? And then she realizes that she's just asked God like the most loaded question in history. And, you know, like, what gives? Why do you make us wait for these graces? Why is this have to, why does it have to be a grace? Why can't I do something to make this go quicker? You know, basically she corrects herself. She says, yeah, no, you know, this is probably something on me, um, on us. She says, it seems to us that we are giving everything to God. Whereas the truth of the matter is that we're, we're just paying God the rent. And in other words, we're saying that we desire to go deeper. Uh, this passive form of prayer, it sounds pretty nice. It sounds, it sounds very relaxing. Uh, it, doesn't, it's, it, it kind of it goes against oftentimes the, the laboriousness of more active forms of prayer that we require work from us. And so obviously we're going to desire this. But on the other hand, we desire to go deeper. Maybe we're also a little hesitant to, to buy all in, right? This is what she means by we're just paying the rent. There's a part of us that would rather just pay a little rent and maybe test this whole giving myself completely to God thing to see if it's as good as everybody says it is. And, and then maybe I'll exercise my option to buy out the lease when I'm like convinced, right? Because when, when in going deeper, we get the sense, I think we all know this, in going deeper, it's going to cost us a lot with respect of letting go of the things that we have previously turned to with respect to comfort and consolation and crutches. So it's like today I want to give myself completely to God. The desire's there. But then tomorrow I'm thinking what I really need is just take that mental health day and binge movies in bed, right? And so even, even though this desire we've been praying, we've been praying for years, the desire isn't constant there's an aspect of us that it's about being human that means that we're going to have to build this up. We're still going to have to do some work. And, and so that's why it's, if we're waiting for that, that grace of, that, of those first sort of passive moments in prayer, we need to keep doing the work, essentially, until God desires to move us. That's a great point. I know a lot of missionaries who want to enter into that passive prayer And so when they go to their holy hour, they say, I just try to empty my mind of everything and put myself in God's presence and wait for him to give me that gift. And so they don't come with scriptures to meditate on or things to talk about with God because they want to move from a lower form of prayer, that's how they think about it, to a higher form. How would you advise a soul who is approaching their holy hour that way? So... St. Teresa's favorite word, I think, well, this is my theory anyway, is determination. Because in the midst of kind of our flakiness, um, one day is more, we're, we're more desirous than others. We kind of want to fake it till we make it, so to speak, with respect to passive aspects. So we, we, we sort of do the stoic thing and, and show up with no spiritual reading, with no rosary. And we're just going to sort of gonna like white knuckle it through our, our holy hour or something like that. But, but the problem is, is that like we were these composite creatures supremely affected by original sin, redeemed and redeemed by the fact that God becomes man in Jesus Christ, 
And so for Teresa, her, the object of her prayer in the midst of all this is the humanity of Christ. And so emptying your mind and, and sort of thinking about nothing is not, is not being focused on Christ. That's not prayer. It's just sort of a, it's sort of a mental gymnastics. It's, a, it's, it's like ADHD management or something like that. The focus of our, of our prayer, and for her, it was the humanity of Christ. Uh, she speaks of you know, how, can, how you know, some people think that we need to, to sort of set aside anything corporeal. Uh, and think purely on the spiritual realm. She doesn't get that. She says, I'm sure they're, they're right because they're smarter than me. Um, but, but for me, that's, that's not how it works. I need this humanity of Jesus. I, I need to have Jesus with me. And so the, the object of her prayer is centered around this presence. And prayer for her is, is spending time in friendship with, with Jesus. And so what does a friendship look like? If we're, if we're going to be friends and focusing on the humanity of Christ with Jesus, then we're going to spend this time naturally with the sort of things that we need to, that we, that we already are spending time with our friends with. This is just colloquy, speaking to God, telling him about our day. This is, this is sometimes we, we, Jesus and I need to read a book together because I had a long day and my brain's all over the place. Sometimes I, I feel, I don't know if you can relate to this, Jessica, I feel like this amoeba, like an amoeba that's, that's like trapped in, in, the, in like a, this couch cushion. And so I have, I'm like this amorphous blob and with flops of like all my flabby spiritual self, like sort of wedged into a lot of stuff that's like temporal in nature. So there's like all the crazy stuff with politics, church and secular. There's all these pastimes that I use to self-medicate the uncomfortable feelings of, that come from fear, despair, and anger that are distracting me uh, throughout the day. There's my habitual sins, whether they be venial or grave. These are the things that I, I hate the most about myself, right? These, these things uh, cause me at times to think that, I, that this is going to be very difficult. Maybe it's not worth it. And so all of these pieces of my soul, no matter how long I've been committing to a daily holy hour, as long as I'm living in the world and sort of interested in the cares of the world, I, I'm going to have to go through this process of recollecting myself enough to sit down and to have this friendship time with Jesus. To give, to give him myself in this hour. At times this is laborious. At times we go to prayer and we're ready to go, we're ready to move. And so because of how different we are on a day-to-day -day basis, this is why we have to have this determination because sometimes it's going to be harder than other days. And even if you've begun to experience just tastes of passive prayer, it doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong if you, if you, need, to, if you need to pray a decade of the rosary to get yourself back on time with Jesus and not thinking about what you have to cook for dinner or something like that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We need to focus on the humanity of Jesus, just like Teresa Vavala did. And she had a friendship with him. So she shared her personal life with him and her struggles. And it's our struggles that make us need to focus on his humanity, but also to receive that passive prayer if he gives it as a gift while we are focusing on his humanity. Now, it's been a while since I've read some of Teresa's works, but I seem to remember that she encouraged people who wanted to experience the deeper waters of prayer to practice the prayer of recollection. Am I right in that? Yeah. But on the other hand, Teresa isn't perfectly consistent with the way that she uses this, this term, the prayer of recollection. And so we tend, 500 years later, to talk about two types of prayer of recollection which he speaks about. And one is, is a, an acquired prayer of recollection, which is that process that I was just speaking of, really, 
of picking up my amorphous amoeba blobs and and kind of tucking them into my spiritual spanks <laughs> and and going into the choir into the into the chapel to 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 begin my time of prayer. She uses the analogy of like a hedgehog or a turtle, like kind of collecting oneself. And and so this is this is sort of the the process we need to do of calming our senses, both the five and those that are internal. This is the process of directing our will towards for her, it was it was often the second person of the Trinity in prayer, uh, Jesus. And, and so she she practices this process of, of acquired recollection. And again, this is not like, okay, step one, step two. Sometimes she phrases in the way of perfection, for instance, she phrases it kind of like that, first make the sign of the cross. The way of perfection, she's trying to be really get all the details in there so that, that you know there's no possible way you could mess this up. And in other other places, she's more kind of relaxed about it. So don't think the great thing about Carmelite prayer is that we don't really have a method. It's 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 just friendship, right? It, it's 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 the humanity of Christ. It's friendship with the humanity of Christ. Detachment from the things that that get in the way of that relationship. We don't really speak of methods, and even when we try to kind of speak of them, we 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 kind of shy ourselves away from from even saying the word method. That's a great point. I mean, in our modern world, we want methods, and mm. Teresa isn't offering you a method. She's not saying if you do this this will happen. It's just, this is how you can dispose yourself and grow in deeper friendship with God. And he will give you the gift when you are ready for it. Right. And then, so she, then she sort of, that, that's a good segue into sort of the, the second form of the prayer of recollection, which is when God desires, he then gives us the grace of, I'm just, I'm scrolling through the, the interior castle. This deserves Teresa to speak herself. So this is, this is like when the acquired recollection that we've been practicing. We've been really determined in our determination to, to do this uh, every day, to, to make sure that we're going to prayer. You know, when we get distracted, using it as an opportunity to turn back to Jesus, and, you know, that gives them great delight. You know, turning to Jesus at any time is going to be, uh, he's going to like that in, in, for us. So, you know, never be discouraged by distraction either. So, Teresa says this, this is sort of the, the transition. They, they say that the soul enters within itself, and other times that it rises above itself. With such terminology, I wouldn't know how to clarify anything. This is what's wrong with me, that I think you will understand by my way of explaining, well, perhaps I'm the only one who will understand myself. She's speaking of the frustration that she has with trying to clarify this distinction between the acquired and, and, the, and the received, the infused form of the prayer of recollection. Let's suppose that these senses and faculties that I have uh, have gone outside and this is in the interior castle. She's, 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 they've gone outside of the castle. And they've been walking for days and maybe even years with strangers, enemies of the well-being of the castle. So the things that get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. The, the castle is, is the seat of Jesus in the inmost depths of who we are. Having seen their perdition, which they've already begun to approach the castle. So they, they see that the things that they're occupied with aren't great. They want to go back to the castle at this point. And even though they, they may not manage to remain inside because of the habit of doing so is difficult to acquire, but still they are not traitors and they walk in the environs of the castle. And once the great king, who is in the center dwelling place of this castle, sees their goodwill, he desires in his wonderful mercy to bring them back to him like a good shepherd, with a whistle so gentle 
that even they themselves almost fail to hear it. He makes them recognize his voice and stops them from going so far astray so that they will return to their dwelling place. And this shepherd's whistle has such power that they abandon the exterior things in which they were estranged from him and enter the castle. And so here, Teresa isn't speaking of sin. At this point, we're in the fourth dwelling place. So you know, we're pretty far along. She's speaking of the other things that we have to do. And so we go to prayer. We recollect ourselves. We've acquired this, this prayer of recollection in the course of our, of our time in prayer. And we have to do things. So we, the chapel, we go do our homework. We go do paperwork, whatever we have to do. Cook dinner. We lose that recollection. And so the transition then is our faculties kind of being outside of, of this, of being inside the castle with Jesus, acknowledging his presence, living the presence of God in our daily life, washing the dishes, doing our homework. We've, we lose that aspect. Our Lord blows this little shepherd's whistle, as this is an analogy, and we, without even really hearing it, we return. And so now we're, we're, we've received some passive grace without even really like intentionally going to prayer, we're back in God's presence. Our will is directed at him, loving him, even if our intellect is somewhere else. And so this is sort of the, this is how like we go from the acquired prayer of recollection to, you know, that's sort of the first jump, so to speak, to the, to the passive forms of prayer. But the, the initiative is God's. And I think that's such a remarkable and comforting thought for people who say, oh, I get so distracted in prayer and I'm never going to experience passive prayer. And then you point out to them, it's the shepherd's whistle. Jesus brings you into passive prayer while you're doing other things. I think that that's kind of an earth shattering thought for people because so many of us have had that experience. I will be driving in my car or washing my dishes and all of a sudden I'm back in God's presence and I'm aware of him and to think, oh, that's actually what Teresa is talking about with passive prayer. I do experience that. Mm-hmm. Now that leads me to uh, the last question that I wanted to ask you for this episode. I've heard a lot of people say that their spiritual directors don't want them to focus on St. Teresa of Avila or read the writings of the Carmelites, or maybe they've received that advice from their chaplains, parish priests, because they don't want people to begin daydreaming about going into the deeper levels of prayer. And they will be told, well, you're not experiencing those things. Those things are for the Carmelite nuns. That's who these documents were written for, not for people like us. What's your response to that? First of all, it makes me sad. (laughs) You know, the church is in a really good job uh, I think, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well in terms of in being involved in formation at the importance of growing in self-knowledge. And on the one hand, we, we've bought into a lot of these models, psychological models, which oftentimes have very secular roots, you know, Jungian psychology for the purpose of like diagnostics for like the crazy parts of our personality that we need to temper and bring back more towards the, towards the center uh, with respect to things. So we've done that. We're very happy to spend you know, billions of dollars of the national budget on studying the human body. Why wouldn't we want to gain an understanding of how the soul works, how, how our spiritual self works? This is a, 
a very important part of us. It's, it's the part that, that persists through eternity. I believe in the resurrection of the body too, but the, the, the sense of it's, it's the truest form of ourself. We don't want to go into that because it, it might be dangerous or it's not for everybody. In a sense, you know, Teresa speaks often in an analogy. And so there are going to be outliers with, with respect to spiritual experience that are, that are good and, and legitimate that don't fall in the same way that Teresa expresses it. And, and she herself admits that. She says, those things didn't work for me, so I have to go. I have to, I had, I've had to do the work talking to a lot of Dominicans uh, to come up with my, with my own way of understanding this. So if we were serious about self-knowledge, growing in self-knowledge for the sake of, of our human development, which human being spiritual and, and corporeal, then why not turn to someone who is a doctor of the church who is very easy to read, in my opinion. It's like sitting down with somebody who, I mean, sometimes she goes on tangents, but it's, it's very enjoyable to read St. Teresa. Why, why would we be afraid of that? Don't be discouraged if there's aspects of St. Teresa's writings that uh, you don't understand. She's speaking experientially. It's a testimony of her experience, and we don't have all of those experiences. However, the church, in declaring her a doctor of the church, it's like survey says nine out of 10 people experienced spiritual development in this way. Maybe it's not even that much. But here's a way of, of beginning to understand a very mysterious part about you and the, and the part of you where God himself dwells. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's very exciting just to think that this is the normal spiritual development that the church recognizes. And so it is for everyone. And yes, St. Teresa wrote these books for her religious sisters, but Jesus intended her to write them for the world, for the church. And so it's for all of us as well. So thank you so much for joining me for this interview today. Please tune in in our next episode. Father Pier Giorgio and I are going to discuss St. John of the Cross and especially the dark night of the soul and the difference between the dark night and other spiritual or psychological experiences we might have. So that'll be a great episode. Please tune in. And Father Pier Giorgio, could you offer us a blessing? Yes, absolutely. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. We pray for the intercession of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, St. Teresa of Jesus, St. John of the Cross. May Almighty God bless you and all of your endeavors to grow closer to Jesus in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, thank you, Father Pier Giorgio, and thanks everyone for listening. Wow.